you know, I came in as a sponge, but also knowing who I am and what I can do and being confident in that and also just continuing to grow and really working for that. I think sometimes people come to the pro level and don't always work as hard as they should. And, you know, I want to do more than just be here. Welcome to the Just Women Sports podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Brianna Stewart. Only a few years into her professional career, Brianna Stewart already boasts one of the greatest resumes in basketball history. During her time at UConn, she won four national titles, completed two undefeated seasons, and was the first ever unanimous pick for AP Player of the Year. The number one pick in the 2016 WNBA draft, in just three seasons in the league, she's already won a title and been named MVP. She's also an Olympic gold medalist and a Euro League MVP. Simply put, she's won everything. Stewie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Is it okay I call you Stewie? We've never, I don't think we've ever met in real life and I like <laughs> feel weird about calling people nicknames or calling people like the wrong name if I haven't met them. So are no, you- you can call me Stewie. Stewie's good. You don't care like... with, when people call you Stewie? No. I don't know you. I prefer it because they uh, mispronounce my name. So, Yeah, because it's Brianna, not Brianna. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Stewie's easy. I like Stewie. It's a good nickname. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, let's just get right into it. We're going to start at the beginning. You were born in Syracuse, New York, 1994. (laughs) What was your early home life like, and how did you first get into basketball? Yeah, so early home life... I mean, in the beginning, it was me and my mom. Biological dad is not really in the picture. From there, when I was probably four or five, the person who I call my dad kind of came to my life and became part of our family. And he was the one that kind of got me started with basketball, just getting me active and able to do things, you know. Was he a basketball fan or did he like see something in you and was like, oh, I want to get her into basketball? I think he was a fan and it was just also... I needed to be doing something like I played soccer for a hot second. And wow, let me tell you, let me tell you, it did not go great. I mean, the hand-eye coordination came later. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But he kind of got me started and was like, you know, he's even today, he's like my biggest supporter, but biggest critic for sure. Interesting. So how old were you when you started playing? Probably six or seven, but like, and not good. I mean, doing other sports, like, is that when you're still playing soccer? (laughs) What what does it look like? I literally think I just went to one soccer camp because I remember I had like this blue soccer ball. And like, <laughs> that was my like soccer claim to fame. Yeah. I played softball. I played volleyball. And then, you know, as I continued to go through high school and, and that type of thing, I just focused on basketball. So I read about your dribbling routine. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? What's the story behind that? Yeah. So that happened when I was in middle school and it was summertime and my dad was kind of like, Hey, you know, you should go dribble around the block. I was like, what? Like, what? Why? (laughs) I'm like, why? Yeah. I've never seen anyone dribble around the block. Yeah. So then I was like, no. And then like the next day, Hey, (laughs) you should go dribble around the block. And I'm like, no. Like, and then again, you should go dribble around the block. And it was kind of like, fine. To please you, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So then I'm dribbling around and I'm like, my neighbors are looking at me. I'm like, I'm like, this is stupid. This is dumb. Like, what is this girl doing just dribbling around the block? And then come to find out it became my thing. It was something that I really did consistently until I graduated. And it helped just continue ball handling, I guess. Yeah. Was that like your first, did you see your 
skills improve, like your game improve just from that time spent with the ball? Yeah, I can definitely tell that I could see the improvement. I mean, in fifth grade, I couldn't dribble between my legs. And it was like trying to figure out how I could dribble between my legs and like how many times in a row I could dribble between my legs. And then eventually when I look back to when I was a senior, I could go almost around the whole block, you know, like things like that. It's, It's just like perfecting that. For sure. I feel like that was probably your first taste of like work hard, get rewarded, like see results. Yeah. So you became very good, very young. At what point did you realize you had the it factor, like you could go far in basketball? So when I was 14, I played on the 16 under USA team. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, like I was living in a bubble in Syracuse and I just wasn't aware that we had like USA teams and can like, you know, play at those type of events even when we were young. So you at 14, had you ever watched like Team USA basketball in the Olympics? So I think that sparked it. Like I remember when I was 14, that would be the 2008 Olympics. And like, I remember watching that like at my grandma's house. And like, I remember because Australia had on the onesies. You know, like oh the full God, I don't even suit. remember that. <laughs> what? I'm like, they were, I'm like look, they were look it up onesies? later. Look it up later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's what I remember. But it's interesting because I got an invitation to go to the tryouts and they have all the youth things in Colorado Springs. And at first my parents were like, No, you're not going. No way. <laughs> yeah. And Why? Like, because they were like, You can't miss school. Oh, wait, so like, <laughs> at what point in the year did you get called? Was it like spring, fall, before the Olympics, after the Olympics? Like when was it? Do you remember? So I'm pretty sure it was spring, like okay. May, and then we would have something in sometime in the summer. Yeah. And they were like, no. So they said no. Mm-hmm. And then like, were you like, mom, dad, I like, I, I want to go. This is my dream. Or were you just like, okay, I need well, to go to school. I was like, all these people I know are going to be there. Okay. <laughs> My friend, my, yeah, my friends, my AAU coach was like, she needs to go. She really needs to be there. And then I went. So the coach knew that this was important and special. Mm -hmm. And then I went and made the team. And then that kind of started my USA career. I went there by myself. Looking back, I'm like, wow, my parents just were like, bye. Totally. Listen, if it makes you feel any better, my parents didn't say no because of school. My parents didn't believe that it was real that I got called into a youth team camp. They were like, this is somebody joking. We're not sending you to California on a plane by yourself. So because I was about the same age as you, I was like probably 15 and I'd never been to anything like that before. Yeah, that's that's the same for sure. And like, I've never flown anywhere like that by myself. And now it's like, all right, I'm going to Russia. I'll see you when I see you. Totally. Yeah. That experience makes you have to become like pretty independent at a young age. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Um, So you go to your first Team USA camp and then you see the Olympics, you watch Australian onesies. So was that like a moment when you said, I want to get there one day? Yeah. Yeah. I think once I knew it was like actually a thing and actually possible, that became my my biggest goal was to to win a gold medal at the Olympics and had the pleasure of being there in 2016 and yeah but hopefully we'll just wait till next summer. So you're playing youth teams, national teams. You're playing in high school. What was your high school career like? You were probably just like an absolute all star. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> so when I was in eighth grade, I was six two. So I'm six four right now, and like okay, I've been six four since. Do you my, think any more any more inches are in, going to be in your favor? No, um, I'm like <laughs> I'm going to the chiropractor and stretching, oh, okay. and so maybe I'll just like get a little bit. Okay, uh, I need to do that. 
<laughs> but yeah, I played varsity. So in New York, you can play varsity as an eighth grader. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So because I was 6'2", there you go. Yeah. <laughs> was more of a defensive player. Really? Because it was like I could, could block shots and I could rebound and like the rest was still a work in progress. Uh-huh. And then just continued to kind of figure it out as I went through high school. Do you feel like you developed your offensive game through high school or do you think that came later? No, I think I developed it through high school, especially my junior, senior years. Like I remember my dad, he was like begging me to shoot a three, like begging. And I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot a three. He was like, I don't want you to be like a run to the block type of player. You know, uh-huh. I don't want you to just be like, oh, you're tall, you're the center. And that's where he was like, you know, I want you to be able to learn to dribble, dribbling around the block, be able to shoot and, and shoot just kind of shoot a three and just kind of be able to play all over the place. And now I can. Yeah. You have him to thank for mm-hmm. your success, or at least partially. I'm yeah, sure you so. have a little bit to do with it. So high school career, you're better at defense. You get better offensively. You're like focusing on technical. You end up at UConn, mm-hmm. the UConn women's basketball program, like the best. How does that happen? Like, did you go on a recruiting trip and you're just like, this is it? Or was it the type of thing where you knew they were the best, you wanted to be at the best place and competing with the best and like winning all the time? Yeah. So UConn came on the radar pretty early because I'm from New York, you know, so Uh, yeah, close, close. I think the first time I went there, maybe I was a freshman or sophomore. So you end up at UConn, but how? Mm-hmm. Like you, you went and visited. Did you visit because they called you or were you just interested? Like, was it, oh, I'm going to go watch a game? Yeah, so. How do you end up standing next to the coach? I'm pretty sure they had us come up for a recruiting trip. It was college game day. So it's actually the only college game day that UConn has had for the women's team. So I remember that Maya was playing. Remember just kind of being a part of that whole atmosphere. And then... When I committed, I committed to UConn when I was a junior. Okay. Did you look at other schools? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to a few other schools. I went to North Carolina, Duke, Maryland, Penn State. But, like, I knew I wanted to go to UConn. It was just kind of like... say. It was just like you knew. I didn't want to, like, commit early, I guess. But I still Makes was sense. early enough. Yeah. But so when you committed, you're a junior. So that's, what, 20... 2010? 2011, I think. Yeah. So I was looking at UConn National Championships, 11. I thought you guys had way more than that. It's been a little rough for us lately. (laughs) But it was a little rough before you got there. Like, first of all, when you got to UConn, you became a household name. And I'm going to read off these stats just to like preface what you did and what we're about to talk about. And they're just insane four-time national champion, four-time most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament, three-time AP player of the year, and you end your career with a 151 to 5 record and four of those losses came in your freshman season. When you were showing up to UConn on campus freshman year, what was in your head? Like what were you thinking? Did you think what you ended up accomplishing was possible? I mean, I think I hoped, you know? Yeah. Like it was like the question, it was like when you get to school, what do you want to do? Like, what's your goals here? And I'm like, well, I want to win. Yeah. I want to win them all. Like, duh. But yeah, a lot harder than than it is to, to kind of just say that for sure. My freshman year was by far the worst year. So going into your freshman year, UConn won in 2010, and then they didn't win again until your freshman year. Mm-hmm. So 2011, 2012, they don't win. 
So you're going in to the program and, you know, everybody's saying that maybe UConn's lost a step. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle that being a freshman, being highly recruited? I mean, there's just a ton of pressure. Yeah. I think obviously it was pressure. I think I wasn't playing as well as I wanted to. Like I was struggling kind of in the practice aspect. You know, I thought I was working hard, but they want you to work uh, so Ten much harder. harder. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't really figured out that there was more to kind of do. I was a little stubborn. Yeah. So like I was trying to do things my way and he wanted me to do things his way. And we were kind of like uh, that for a little bit. So what did that look like? I mean, in the end, I always lose because I'm the player. Because <laughs> I'm the coach. player. Oh, yeah. yeah so, no, it's fair. Yeah. I've had so many times like where he was yelling at me, where I was doing something wrong. One drill, I missed a rebound. Okay. <laughs> like, okay, I missed a rebound. Looking back, yeah. I'm like, wow. So he was like, Stewie, do you see those stairs right there? Oh, no. And I was okay. like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, run them. I was like, what? So I was running stairs during practice. They just continued. He forgot about me. Like every time I got to the top, I was like, I should just turn left. Just go. Just turn left and leave. Is left exit? So yeah, left. exit. Okay. <laughs> exit. Like go back to the dorm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you just kept running. Mm -hmm. Kept doing it. Was that the first time you had a coach that had that type of personality and expected the absolute best out of you? Yeah, I think like from all aspects, for sure. And I think looking back now, I could have handled my freshman year better. I'm sure there's always things that we can do better. But it's like the way that he kind of helped me throughout my four years, like it was the best decision of my life. And I understand like, you know, you have to break you down to build you back up, like in some aspects, because some things we learned that are, are not the best ways to do things. For sure. What's one of the things that he broke you down in? And then built you back up. Can mm. you think of anything specific? I think it's just the working hard aspect. And yeah, I thought I worked hard in high school. And I think for a kid, I probably worked hard. But it's even more than that. And it was, you know, I was focused on my freshman year, right? And he was focused on beyond me even being in Your college. Career. Yeah. 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 And just helping prepare me for that. And, you know, now, obviously, in the WNBA, like, I can tell the difference for who went to UConn and who didn't. Like, how that they kind of just handle themselves and, and take care of themselves. That's pretty incredible that you can tell that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just takes such like a special person. And he obviously, he's gotten the results and UConn has the legacy that it does. And, you know, it's all attributed to him, obviously the players that have come through. Yeah. What do you think of UConn's dominance? Because it's kind of like UNC women's mm -hmm. soccer. They mm -hmm. talk about, oh, it's like powerhouse. And is that really good for the sport? Because, you know, one team's winning the whole time. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's... You're like, I won, so I don't care. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I won. And no, it is a thing. It's just tough. Like, I understand you want to have some, like, differences in the sport, but also you can't say that we were making the sport worse. Totally. Like, we're trying to chase perfection, and you're mad about that. So now all these other teams have won, and nobody's complaining. I mean, we still hear the same things about women's sports, and it's kind of just like, if we win, yeah. you complain. If we don't, you complain. Yeah, I love what you just said, that you were chasing perfection and I mean I think that that can never be discounted or you know like looked down upon that's mm -hmm. what you want sports to be I mean I think that's what we as athletes that's what we're all chasing is perfection because it's not attainable but it's not that I don't have a problem with you guys winning all the time when I was at Stanford I was like dang it we're just I lost to Stanford win. once so did you once 
one time. That was one of my five. I probably watched that game and was pumped. So sorry. <laughs> it was not a great moment. Yeah. My junior no, year. Right. Listen, you want enough. But what was the pressure like? Because at Stanford, my senior year, we went to the national championship and we were undefeated going into that final and mm-hmm. we lost. But the pressure of like winning every single game, mm-hmm. you guys did that. You basically did that almost your whole career. Yeah. And for me, that was one season. We yeah, like lose if and you I, step and I wrong it so and you lose, it's yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. So how'd you handle it? Like you're, um, you're a college athlete. How, what, what was your mindset? So I lost four times in my freshman year. So was very used to losing. Three of those was to Notre Dame, but it was hard. I think, yeah. So my freshman year, like I said, it was kind of like a fluke. We got lucky and then we played really well at the end. Okay. My sophomore year. We but you'll were, take it. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. My sophomore year, we were undefeated because that was like, oh, we put all the pieces together and we just like crushed everything. Okay. My junior year, we lost to Stanford. Could have had a crazy win streak. <laughs> yeah, you could have. I'm still upset about that. Isn't it funny that you can be upset about something like one game midseason that you lost, mm-hmm. like it broke a win streak mm-hmm. and you've won so many other things, but still you're sitting here and like, like that's the most annoying part. Yes. Right now you're sitting there being like, I'm annoyed even mm-hmm. in this day, not mm-hmm. this moment. Yeah. yeah, my senior. He's like, you guys would have been a hundred and something wins in a row if you didn't lose to Stanford. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> still salty. <laughs> but that was the hardest season because it was like, we won two. If we don't win the third, we can't win four in a row. Do you know what I mean? And it was like my senior year, nobody was going to like, stop us especially my last year and it was just a a lot of pressure and the same like I felt like we lost this one game to Stanford like we can't like lose all of our marbles right now because you know sometimes we lose our minds if something kind of happens but that was for sure the hardest one I remember after we went I was emotional and it was just it was hard and could finally exhale a little bit yeah that was after your senior year no my junior junior so my senior senior year I was cool (laughs) I'm going pro. (laughs) See you guys later. Yeah. Yeah. So you crush your college career. You leave college undisputed goat and surprising no one you're drafted first. And this is in 2016. So you're drafted first overall into the WNBA to Seattle. Also then that year you win a gold medal in Rio and you are also named Rookie of the Year at the end of the season. So walk me through 2016. What was the transition like? I mean, I feel like you just go from high to high to high, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It was a lot. So 2016, my senior year, we won. It was April 5th. The draft was two weeks later, probably. And then two weeks after that was when like WNBA training camp started. So it was just kind of a whirlwind in a sense. I remember so much was happening. I was at Indianapolis. That was where our championship was and I was kind of like well what am I gonna wear what am where what am I gonna wear to the to, draft yeah okay <laughs> so the draft. I'm like I, I don't know this is you ask yourself what you're gonna wear to the draft right after you win yeah so that was the thing obviously getting drafted coming out to Seattle I had to fly back for my graduation because graduations are usually in May mm-hmm. and then it was just kind of like I'm learning the ropes in the WNBA and then all of a sudden it's like all right stop we have the Olympic break. And I got a call from our head person for USA basketball, Carol Callen. And she was like, I wanted to let you know, like you're one of the 12. What was that feeling like? 
I was like speechless. I think, you know, just knowing that that was something that I've always wanted to be a part of and now it was actually becoming a reality was pretty amazing. And then, yeah, we started with the USA team. We went to Rio. We won. Rio was crazy. So you come back from the Olympics and then for people who are listening, they probably don't realize like what your WNBA season timeline is like because you guys start in May and you end in October. Yeah. And Olympics is basically right in the middle. So your rookie year, you're going from college straight into the league. And then you pause, you go to Rio, you win. And then you have this high of winning an Olympic gold medal, but then you have to go back and you still have... Regular season games. Yeah, Yeah. you you still have things that you want to accomplish. So how did you handle that? I mean, I was just in a whirlwind. You know, I was just kind of going with wherever I was supposed to go. We took that one month break for the Olympics and then came right back into it. And I mean, my first year, we were like 17 and 19. And we didn't have it figured out. That's for sure. I was about to say, yeah. Mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) We were a little below 500. (laughs) But we made the playoffs, I think. I'm pretty sure we made the playoffs. But we lost. So how did you, because you just come from college winning everything. You're playing on a club team that, like you said, doesn't have everything figured out. Mm-hmm. Then you go to play with Team USA in Rio. You win an Olympic gold medal. So h- how are you handling like the juxtaposition of winning all the time, winning with Team USA, but then like grinding it out in the league? I wasn't handling it very well. <laughs> okay. So my first game was in LA at Staples against the Sparks. And I was like, oh, first game, whatever. Like It's going to be great. Da, da, da. We get smoked by like 20. Smoked. Were you nervous? Probably a little, yeah. You're just more pissed that you were, you guys got smoked. We got smoked. And then I was like mad. Like I was in the locker room and I was mad because it's like, okay, oh, I lost. I should be mad. And the, the WBA season is so quick that it's like, you can't really think about the game for very long because it's like, we have another one coming up. I think we went back to Seattle and we had another game shortly after. So it's like, I was mad and my teammates were like, all right, where are we going to go eat? <laughs> Was that the first time that you would experience like that professional mindset of like the game that we just uh-huh. played is over with? Uh-huh. We got another one in a couple of days. Right. Like it's I can't just net. like sit and sulk about it forever. Whereas, you know, at UConn, sometimes they want you to feel that for a while. Yeah, for sure. I can understand that because I haven't played on sometimes some of the best club teams. So it's always interesting when you're like having to try to figure out. It just seems like you're like a winner. Uh-huh. You win and then dealing with not winning. Like it's just... Yeah. It's like you have to almost practice it, but you don't want to be good at it because you don't want to be losing all the yeah, time. Yeah, it humbles you real quick. That's for sure. Like I Definitely. was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so you obviously first season doesn't end up the way you want it to, but you still win Rookie of the Year, which is incredible. And then you go overseas. So can you talk a little bit about playing abroad? You've played two seasons in China and two in Russia. But a lot of people probably don't understand that a lot of you guys go play mm-hmm. abroad. Yeah. Give me some insight onto that, like why you do it, what it's like. So for the WNBA, for professional basketball players, it's normal for us to kind of go into a WNBA season because it's those dates you said, uh, May to October. And then from there, we go overseas from October until almost May. And it's just like a never ending cycle of being overseas. So my first two years, I was in Shanghai, China, which was amazing. Uh, definitely a cool place to be. Best place in China for sure. And then my last two, I was in Russia. But it's kind of like if you're young, you have to go and you have to at least like try it. And if you don't like it, then you stop going 
and hopefully find another like source of income. Why do you have to go when you're younger? I mean, the money's there. You're just kind of leaving the money on the table. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. How compensation works, WMBA, and Mm -hmm. then playing overseas? Yeah. So I'm about to enter my fifth year in the league. So my first four years, I was on my rookie contract. And this is before our CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement, that we just finished last fall kind of came about. And the rookie deals are super low. I mean, not super low, but like super low in a term of what you think compared to like an NBA player. Absolutely. And it's like 50000 And then you take away the taxes, the 401k, all that. And it's like, well, it's not a lot. Not that. a lot. And it's just kind of like, you know, overseas is where the money is, is better. And, you know, where there's going to be a lot more kind of offers. And also, you know, they know people by who they are, but also you have to kind of continue to prove yourself in new territories. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year as far as overseas, because the economy is kind of messed up in a lot of different ways. But if you want to play, like for me, I want to play basketball. So I'm going to go play wherever I can play. And that's the easy decision. Yeah. So really the overseas decision is like it's money. And then it's also the ability to be getting in games year round. Mm -hmm. Cause that's similar to us where, you know, the NWSL only goes, well, it's changed from year to year, but like March through sometimes October. And then we have a league over in Australia and people Mm -hmm. will go play in that for the remainder of the year, you know, to fill those months, especially if they're not getting called into national team camps and stuff like that just gives you the ability to get games. And I don't think people realize how important it is to like have consistent playing environment, not just like training, but like games. No, it's hard. It's hard to like not play and then play. I mean, it's going to be hard for you guys to not play and then play. And then the same with us, like, it's going to be rough. Yeah, for sure. Like, hello. <laughs> We're back. Yeah, like hamstrings are on. Quads are burning. <laughs> exactly. What is the like emotional mental piece of going overseas? Like China and Russia are very different cultures from America. Yep. You're pretty young when you first went over there. How did mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. handle that in that aspect of life? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been overseas before with USA basketball, but nothing where it's been like a long stint like that. I was young and I was excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to China. This is going to be great. But China is different compared to Russia because you can only have one foreigner on each team. So it's me and 11 other uh, Chinese players. And it's just like, did you learn some Chinese? um, Phrases? Ni hao? Okay. <laughs> Listen, it was a little while ago, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm focused kidding. on Russian now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's tough and there's no way to really prepare for it. Like I brought over my snacks and I brought over my this and that. And I mean, I was in a hotel room for five months. For That's five months. Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn in China is nice. They are nice over there. Did you order room service every day? Yes. Okay. Room service experience. I was near a Starbucks, so that was great. But you're re-signed to go back over this coming year. To Russia, yeah. Yeah. To yeah. Russia. So you think that you'll continue to play over there, mm-hmm. even though, like you said, you guys signed a new CBA collective bargaining agreement this past January yeah. that has improved a lot of the issues, compensation. But you think that you'll continue to go for the foreseeable future? You think you'll just every year you'll go? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll go for as long as I can. I mean, as long as I can, like, kind of hold up. So my first year in Russia, 
we were in the EuroLeague Championship and I ruptured my Achilles. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That put me out for a little bit and not being able to play sucked. So now, you know, any opportunity I have to play, I want to kind of do that and be a part of it. And still, like, the money is better in the WNBA. And listen, we've come a long way. But still, I can't turn down the offers from overseas. Makes sense. Get what you can while you can, you know. Exactly. <laughs> How did you handle Achilles injury? Was that the first time you had a major one? Yeah, that was my first major one. It was a crazy experience. We were in the championship 20 seconds before halftime. I go up to shoot and on my way up, like something happened to my leg. So it ruptures on the way up, which is weird. Anyway, so they say. And I remember I was on the ground and I was like, I think I just ruptured my Achilles. And I was like, I was thinking in my head, I was like, oh, I hope I broke my ankle. Because I'm like, oh. Instead of maybe, rupturing your Achilles. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, maybe that's two months or something. And then I'll be back. But it was the weirdest feeling. So I stood up. And like, imagine this is my foot. I could only feel the heel. Like I couldn't feel anything else. Uh, <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like talking about this, but I am like, Oh, you don't want to see my scar? Like, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, it was, I mean, I was in Chopron hungry. So we went to the hospital, no MRI. They did an ultrasound. They're like, we can't find your Achilles. I'm like, cool, like, Where's the vodka? <laughs> That's how I was. <laughs> like, where's my drink? <laughs> appropriate question. I appreciate that. They um, shot a blood thinner in my stomach. And the next night, I flew direct Vienna to LA. Wow. I can't believe you flew all the way, like halfway. I mean, because you, you had to fly halfway mm-hmm. around the world with a ruptured Achilles, mm-hmm. get back to America, Surgery get it fixed up. Like and, then, ASAP, yeah. and then you're on the road to recovery. Mm-hmm. How was the mental, physical, emotional process of rehab? It was a roller coaster. I think that was the best way to put it. The people that I rehabbed with, John Meyer, and he was like, listen, this is going to be a roller coaster of a journey. And that's exactly what it was. You know, some days I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And then it's like, you know, you don't know if you're going to be able to be back, be able to play where I was playing. It was just nuts. I mean, I couldn't walk until July and I got hurt in April and it was my right side. So I couldn't drive. That is the worst part. Mm-hmm. I had full ankle reconstruction when I lived in Brooklyn, New York mm-hmm. and it was my right foot. I did my rehab on the Upper East Side and I would have to crutch to the bus, to the subway, to a bus and then crutch to the Mm-mm. the rehab center. That so, is, that's intense. Yeah. I, so right when you got back to LA, you had a text from Kobe How was he through that process with you? So when I landed on that flight from Vienna, Kobe's text was the first one I saw. And to have him kind of be there and and just be in support of me right away, like right from the jump, knowing that someone like him went through the process, I was set up to meet all the same doctors that he used. He was just there for support. He was a soundboard and he would check in with me throughout my journey and it was tough hearing he passed we were actually with team usa i was gonna play my first game back that next day after we found out the news and it's just i mean i still can't believe it like someone like that like obviously he was a legend but he's also like an icon you know like everybody knows who kobe is and what he's done and what he was doing for women's sports 
especially being an advocate for women's basketball. It's just tough, you know. Sometimes, like, life can't can't figure out why life works the way it does, but definitely going to continue to do what we can in his honor and in Gigi's honor and all the other victims. And, I mean, it's it's terrible. It's terrible, but it's a thousand times worse when, when kids are involved. Yeah, sometimes there's no words. But... You get back. Yeah. You play your first game mm-hmm. back from injury with that weight on you, and you're also playing at UConn. How did you feel like stepping out on the court and just being back? You yeah. know, like that first game back is always just there's nerves, yeah. there's excitement, there's questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was expecting it to be an emotional day coming back and like thinking about this before even realizing or learning about Kobe's death. So it was definitely even more emotional. You know, obviously we were honoring Kobe, Gigi, and all of the victims and families before the game. And then, you know, it was having to like flip that switch and be like, okay, you know, we're going to play, but we're going to play for them. You know, like Kobe would want us to play. And like saying that, like, you know, everybody says that, but that's actually how it would have been. You know, they would have wanted us to, to play that game. And coming back from injury, I mean, I was in, it was a blur. You know, when you come back from the first game, it's kind of like um, um, my head is spinning. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, just run up and down. Totally. Run up and down the court. I made my first shot, which was great. But I should have known that if I made the first one, I was going to miss all the rest. You didn't make one other shot nope. the whole game? Nope. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Well, not to like back up a bit, but so you've been abroad every season, but you in your first season of WNBA, not so great when rookie of the year second season goes okay well second season you're an all-star mm-hmm. which is sweet and then third year you're all-star your league mvp and you win your first wnba title yeah what for one what did your team do like how did you guys get there and what changes did you make when you turned pro yeah so i think the first year was obviously rough. The second year was getting better, but we still had like a terrible record. And then the third year was kind of the year that we put all the pieces together and we were able to kind of come together as a team. For me, going from my second to my third year, like I remember like putting an emphasis on like whatever I'm doing obviously isn't good enough and like going to be better and continue to take care of my body more. And it's more than just, you know, I learned this more than just being on the basketball court. You know, it's the things you do off the court. It's, you know, what I'm putting into my body. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'm all in. Now I'm all in. And like just having the mindset that that year I was going to continue to get better. Like I knew, I mean, like, you know, you have your goals going into things. And I knew I wanted to have like an MVP like season. To have that, you need to like make sure your team is doing well as well. I think that year, my third year, we actually lost our first game. Really? Mm-hmm. I th- I I feel like there's a study behind teams that lose their first game mm-hmm. of the season and then end up winning the yeah. championship. Like, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah. Like lost our first game and almost lost our minds, but then we're able to kind of figure it out. And then just by the end, we were like clicking like no other. But our team plays really well together and really kind of has a, a great chemistry. And it's fun. It's fun being here in Seattle and playing in front of great fans and stuff like that. What was that like, just achieving everything that you set out to accomplish? I think it was just, you know, everything that I was working for and 
we talked about the mental aspect of things, but like mentally knowing what I wanted to do and not messing around with it. And I think that to be able to kind of see that come to fruition, it was great. And it let me taste a little bit of the success at the WNBA level. And it was something that I want to feel more, you know, I want it to happen more than once and continuing to just be at that high level and bring it back as many times as I can. Do you think that the fact that you went into the season with very clear goals, do you think that was part of the reason you were able to be successful because you set those ahead of time? Yeah, I think for me and I think, you know, I'm a person that I like to make goals and I like to try to achieve them and I hold myself accountable. You know, I do the things that sometimes I don't want to do, but I know that I still have to do them. And if I don't, like if I don't work out, I'll feel like shit, you know, it's like, now, Same. now I've ruined it. You know, now I've lost it all. It's all over. <laughs> but it's holding ourselves to high standards because we want to be more than what we are. Totally. Chasing perfection right there. Would you say that you want to be in Seattle forever? Like, would you want to do your uh, whole career there? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it here. I've been kind of welcomed with open arms here and we have more to do. You know, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I want to talk a little bit about off the court stuff and just advocacy work mm-hmm. that yep. you've done. And in the past couple of years, you've really put yourself out there, which I respect a lot. You wrote an incredibly powerful piece for the Players Tribune describing your own experience with sexual abuse. And you've been a very outspoken supporter for the Me Too movement. Talk to me about that. Like, do you feel like you've always been outspoken? Was there a time when you were like, no, I want to, like, this is something I want to talk about. What was your process there? Yeah. I think, you know, when I kind of graduated from college and realized, you know, now it's just me and like, I'm taking care of myself and, and that type of thing. You know, I'm an honest person, I think, for the most part. But I want to I wanna be genuine as well. Like, I want you to know how I'm feeling. And the Me Too article wasn't the easiest thing for me to kind of put out there. And I was in China when it happened. But it was kind of like, you know, how can I use my story and my experience to help someone else, you know, to help potentially save someone's life or save them from kind of going down the wrong path and that type of thing. And it was tough, you know, because it just brings back old memories and that type of thing. But it needed to be done. And I didn't need to do it for me, but just to help the other people. And I think, you know, even now, you know, we have these platforms. We have these big giant platforms because of you know where we got ourselves within our sports and it's kind of a disservice if you don't use your platform to really speak up for what people deserve and I mean you know it's happening it's happening right now say with everything happening in the world I know you made headlines speaking out about the killing of George Floyd and um, being at protests and why do you think as athletes we drive some of the most important conversations in America I think it's just because we have a lot of eyes on us. Everybody knows that. And at the same time, we're also people, you know, we're also going through some of these things that that other people are going through. And right now, obviously the racism that's still happening in our country is actually insane. And it's just continuing to kind of educate ourselves and learn how we can be better and, you know, help this country be better. Because in the end, like I talked about when I was younger, we were young and we represented Team USA and like the best thing ever. But it's like sometimes like we want to represent a country that treats everyone equally. And yeah, we're the best country in the world, but 
doesn't mean we can't get better. We have a lot of work to do. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like as athletes, we encounter and we work with and we're teammates with people from all different backgrounds mm-hmm. and lifestyles, color, yep. gender, sexuality. And I think that we have this space where I think people feel safe mm-hmm. and good, but mm-hmm. then you realize that that's not the case everywhere. Yeah. And you're like, but it should be, and it mm-hmm. needs to be. And mm-hmm. how do we create what we have, like something special here within a team environment yeah. throughout the country? Because it's unacceptable. Yeah. Like I saw one of the NFL guys talking about like, you know, in a locker room, it's probably the most diverse atmosphere that we're in. And I think for all of our sports, everybody's different. You know, everybody has their their own thing and we just accept that. And I think it's also a, a generational thing. Like I think we're the ones that are the most accepting of whoever anybody wants to be, you know, and how do we make the rest of the world kind of see the way that we see things? I agree. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. And the one thing that encourages me is that like, we are the future, like we're creating it Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful for what is going to come in the future because of the conversations and the things that are happening now. Yeah, it's definitely inspiring to see. Like, don't get me wrong. I was sad. I was exhausted. Same. And it's like, I'm not black, you know, so I can't even relate to like, how the black community is feeling but it's like it's all those emotions but it's also inspiring the way that everyone is coming together so quickly yeah absolutely i agree but thank you for being a voice and for with everything that you're doing like you're a partner official partner with the rain organization which created and operates the national sexual assault hotline like those sorts of things are just so important and that you know there are people out there that i know have benefited from you speaking up and i have a lot of respect for you so just to like wrap things up a little bit before we end you've already established yourself as a household name in a league that is very hard to break into how do you think you've been able to do that? Why? What's the secret sauce for Stewie? <laughs> uh, secret sauce. I think my secret sauce is just the fact that, you know, I came in as a sponge, but also knowing who I am and what I can do and being confident in that and also just continuing to grow and really working for that. I think sometimes people come to the pro level and don't always work as hard as they should. And, you know, I want to do more than just be here. You know, I want to win and be successful. Do you feel like your mental game is part of it? Yes. I think like now I'm like the mental side of things is like 90%. Totally. I agree. It's so important. The fact that you've learned that so young is like 10 years from now, I'm going to look at your career and just be like, oh my God. And you're probably still going to be playing. And the amount that you're going to accomplish is just mind boggling. And I'm jealous, (laughs) but also very proud. So (laughs) keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) End of the podcast. They say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is luck and how much has been hard work? I'm like 95% of my success has been hard work for sure. I mean, I'm lucky that I'm 6'4 and my arms are super long, but that's not the end all be all. Love it. Good answer. You, this is an understatement. You've accomplished so much already. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? I want to just continue to, to kind of see how good I can be become the best player I can be in my sport and help as many people as I can outside of my sport. I love it. 
Stewie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time, for just being open and candid and for everything that you're doing on the court, pushing the sport forward and off the court and improving the world that we live in. So thank you. For sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, don't forget to sign up for the Just Women Sports newsletter. It's everything you need to see and know in women's sports delivered straight to your inbox. And while you're at it, also throw us a follow on social. It's at Just Women Sports. Our show is co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Live. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Post-production is by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Sarah Storm, and Haley Kottmeyer. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. See you next week.